Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and thank you so much for joining us here on the program as we uh, tell you each week the times that we're on, where you can hear the program, where you can also watch the video. I'll give all that to you a little bit later and also encourage you to uh, consider the possibility of supporting the work that we're doing here as well as participate in a very special project that we've been promoting for, um, well, over a year. As a matter of fact, it's coming on two years when we hit our anniversary uh, in September of 2021. But I'm going to leave that for right now, and I'm going to jump right into our guest because the conversation that we are about to have, I think, is extremely important. It's something we've touched upon in many other programs on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, where, of course, we are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. We are going to be talking with a gentleman who is going to share with us an idea whose time is, is, is now. It is now. COVID-19, and I will tell you uh, all of the references and other names given to the pandemic, that too, I'm about ready to, to eliminate from my lexicon. I'm just kind of tired of hearing about it. But what I'm not tired of hearing about is humanity's spiritual awakening. My guest is the author. Forrest Rivers is joining us here on the program via Zoom. And Forrest, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Uh, obviously, uh, you are safe. You are well. Uh, whether you've been vaccinated or not is none of my business. I don't, I mean, as a human being, I, I care that you are safe, that you are, you are uh, secure in that knowledge uh, of, of your own personal safety and that your family is also safe. Uh, I have no problem, uh, no compunction whatsoever saying, yeah, hey, I got vaccinated in early June, the 3rd of June, as a matter of fact, uh, which was actually my parents' 65th wedding anniversary. Uh, my dad is uh, 90 years of age, August of 2021. My mother will be in September 87. They're doing great. Although my father is going in for a little, a little surgery, nothing serious. He's going to go through it with flying colors, recover and do just great. How long he wants to stay here on this planet, I don't know. Uh, that's entirely up to him and his God, uh, if you will. He's always been a very private individual when it comes to his spirituality. Uh, but um, we're all looking for that place uh, that we want to uh, basically uh, uh, find not only our place in the universe, but also looking for that space of peace and calm and, so to speak, acceptance and um, so forth and so on. So uh, I hope things are going well for you and thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me today, Richard. You know, we've talked an awful lot about uh, this time in which we have gone through, and in some instances, we're still kind of going through it. Some say we'll always be going through it, uh, just because of the nature of things, um, and that this is now the new normal. Uh, again, another one of those phrases that I'm, I'm, I've heard enough of, but <laughs> I don't know what other words yes. to use unless I could speak another language and utter those words in another language. But um, many of my guests have talked about this whole business of 
the reset, as some call it, for example. And the fact that we have been, uh, as the term goes, locked down or shut in, and that it has sort of forced us to go within. Yes. Um, where, where are you in your own walk, if you will, in terms of this aspect of uh, the, the spirit, your spiritual awakening through this time that has propelled you to this moment in time where you're here talking with me? It's a great question. So for me, Richard, um, you know, I don't want to downplay all of the real suffering that people have been through. You know, mm -hmm. there, there mm -hmm. is some significant suffering, whether it's people who have died or people who are sick in recovery or people who have lost their jobs, uh, you know, during this period of their businesses. Whichever perspective you look at it is no doubt that COVID's created a lot of suffering. But from where I'm standing, the question I've been asking myself since the beginning and sort of what brought me here today is, what do we do with that suffering? And rather than only give in to the narrative of fear, paranoia, anxiety, um, you know, depression, is there another path that we can walk where we can actually take this event and, and look at positives that have come out of it for our own spiritual work? And I see significant um, uh, positives that have come out of this period. And for me personally, I've experienced uh, quite a bit since the pandemic uh, began. Uh, you know, I, I think for me, as for many other people, this has been a wonderful time to reassess what my life's purpose is. You know, what is my higher purpose for being here in this moment of space and time? It's been a wonderful time to re dedicate myself to my creative pursuits. It's been a wonderful time for me to reconsider um, uh, ways in which I can contribute to the world through service. And I think that, I think for many people, this has also been, and including for myself, this has been a time to reflect upon death and what death means. And, you know, the mystics of every spiritual faith I don't care if we're talking about the Sufis, if we're talking about the Christian Gnostics, if we're talking about <clears throat> Hindu mystics, if we're talking about Zen Buddhists, death is given a prominent uh, uh, aspect, is given a, uh, a prominent point in all face. And there's no way that COVID hasn't led us all to reflect more deeply upon death and our own mortality. And those are some of the areas that I talk about in the book but areas that have also spoke to me during this pandemic. Uh, I think there are very important opportunities for growth that have come out of this period in this last year. And those opportunities for growth for you have been what? Yeah, so those opportunities for growth for me have, have been really to, to reassess, uh, you know, to slow down my entire life you know, I, my full-time day job is, is, is as a uh, community college professor. So when we got sent home during lockdown, everything switched to online. And I suddenly had more time on my hands than I knew what to do with. And I used that time to reflect more deeply 
upon my own mortality. I found that I was reflecting much more deeply on uh, ways in which I could be of use to humanity. Uh, you know, this was a great time to re reestablish or dive deeper into my meditation practice. Uh, you know, so there were, there were a lot of things I think that came out of this period where I, I was like, wow, there's, there, there's some positives here. There's some positives despite, despite I want to, I, I want to emphasize again, despite massive suffering that many have felt, you know, through this period. And of course, I have uh, certainly acknowledged uh, what you have in terms of uh, the, the, the realities. And at the same time, uh, sit here and say, look, uh, all I saw were opportunities for all of us. We didn't yes. even know some of the opportunities that existed until we moved further and further uh, um, down through time uh, through 2020. Now, what's interesting is uh, we have this campaign, and it was started by yours truly on, in September of 2019, and it, it was called 2020, the Year of Perfect Vision, where we were encouraging people to go within, to spend time going within, listening to that still, small voice, and voice, finding yep. that calm, quiet, peaceful place where they could get the guidance and the instruction, if you will, that uh, is going to guide them through every, every minute, every hour of their day. Uh, it will challenge, but it will never put one in harm's way. And I am a, a firm believer in that because of my own personal experiences. And that's where I started getting the prompting that there were opportunities here that never existed before that we don't even know of yet because we had just started down that particular path. Yes. I've even asked this question, and I'll put this to you, um, because from a metaphysical standpoint, mind you, all right, so we're going to step away from the material, from the real Ooh. world, okay? Again, being sensitive, as you have so eloquently stated, to those who have been adversely affected. What do you think humanity's reasoning, and again, from a, materi uh, from a metaphysical or spiritual mm -hmm. perspective, what do you think man's reasoning behind why he chose, and I use the word he in a generic sense, to go down this path? What uh, what do you think was... The deeper me metaphysical reasons why this had to happen. Thank you. Yes, go right yeah. in. I, I, talk to us about your perspective. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a wonderful question, Richard. A, a fantastic question and one I've reflected a lot on. Well, you know, the, the I, I, in my humble opinion, from where I'm standing, uh, and so take this with a grain of salt, you know, I think the answer to this lies in our over-attachment, humanity's over-attachment to the material plane. We become so obsessed with this, this notion of our own separateness, of our own separate egos, of our own uh, attachment to material things, be it money, wealth, our jobs, etc., uh, to our own pursuit of profit over the, the well-being of the earth. 
And I think everybody who, who took birth, um, you know, my belief system is similar to many of the Eastern religions of reincarnation, uh, that we've, we all chose to take birth at this time and at this place uh, in, in, in these bodies in order to work out uh, and to transcend our attachment to ego. In other words, I think the reason this had to happen, we needed a dramatic event that shook up our consciousness on the scale of the entire globe. I mean, think about this. COVID has hit everybody on this planet, you know, virtually, mm -hmm. you know, everybody has been impacted. So we needed to have this massive collective event in a metaphysical sense to shake us out of our ego state of consciousness into a more spiritual mindset. I think that this had a lot. I think this was like kind of like I'll use an Eastern term. It was it was our it was our karmic predicament uh, mm. that brought us to this point. Now, I, I, I'm sort of the <laughs> the idealist. And um, as I have talked with many of my guests and we talk, say, for example, about the, the concept, the subject of bullying, which I suffered through in, in grade school and high school. Same. Uh, and um, many, uh, many kinds of responses, let's say, uh, at those times from parents. Hey, come on. Kids will be kids. And besides, it helps to build character. You know, these kinds of things. And of course, I mean, look at me. Look at where I'm at today. I mean, whether it was because of or in spite of, uh, I don't know. All I know is the here I am today. And I sit here going, isn't there an easier way to accomplish that goal, whether it be of my example of developing character of, cre you know, in, a, in an individual or as, as you've described, I, I, come on, there's got to there must have been an easier way. Uh, and yet there's also that part of me. And maybe it's because I'm listening to the still small voice who says, no, that's not how it works. How it works is the way it's working. It's, it's like I was told mm -hmm. in a personal growth program, you have to give up the need to know why. It, I mean, and that's, and that's why I say, take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. My, my, uh, my, my thought on this, I can't answer that with a hundred percent certainty, but when I tune within and ask myself that question, I love that the still small voice within Yeah. when I, when I, when I tune into that, you know, what, what it tells me is that, you know, we've made many individual and collective choices that brought us to this moment where we needed, and I say need only in the sense that because it happened. And I don't believe that anything that happens in this universe is a coincidence. I actually don't even believe any more in coincidences at all. Uh, I think that, that when, you know, everything that happens is meant to happen. Um, now, of course, we have free will. Mm -hmm. And many of the choices that we made with our free will brought us to this point where in a metaphysical sense, we needed a massive dramatic event such as COVID in order to shake us out of our consciousness. And I can't tell you how many people I've talked to and I relate many stories in my book who, you know, people who had never even given thought to the spiritual path are now suddenly starting to ask these deeper existential questions. So regardless of what the reason was that brought that, that brought us to this point, um, you know, it, maybe that the highest metaphys in the highest metaphysical sense 
is bringing people to awareness. Hmm. And maybe that's what the thing, big thing we should focus on is more and more people are internally reflecting. Now, whether, here's a big question, Richard, and I'm an optimist on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you, I do consider myself an idealist. I hope that this is a lasting effect. I hope that we don't, quote, go back to normal. Again, those ridiculous terms, those, you know, I hope when we go, as we return to a new normal, we don't forget the lessons that we've learned from this. But I think that'll be very difficult to forget the lessons because inwardly, we've all had to face truths and questions that we've never had to ask before, particularly about our own mortality, our life's purpose, and our own relationship to the greater universe. COVID-19 and humanity's spiritual awakening, available obviously at Amazon and a lot of other places as well. And the website, uh, forestrivers.com. That's forest with two R's. Uh, Forestrivers.com. Actually, forest and rivers have two R's. So there you go. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) We'll be linked to your website as well so that people can uh, continue their evolutionary process. Uh, and we'll talk uh, certainly more about this, but you've also written another book that I think people should uh, should look into, and that is The Hippie Revival and Collected Writings. And The Hippie Revival is a collection of writings, essays, reflections, and poetry that center around the resurgence of uh, the hippie counterculture. And like the original hippies of the 1960s, 70s, Forest Rivers, uh, he also shares with us his vision of creating a spiritual society that rests on the core values of peace, unity, and love. Additional themes that are also addressed are uh, including um, uh, sacredness of the natural world and communion as an alternate mode of social organization, intersection of social revolution and spirituality, and a questioning of the meaning behind progress. Boy, I have to. Uh, I, I'm so going to share. I beg your pardon. So it's a little loaded. A lot of a lot of topics. I, there. There's a lot there, and of course, these writings are also sometime something of an homage to the early hippies who dared to dream of a better, more peaceful, a peaceful world. So uh, you want to sit back, enjoy, and allow this book to uh, uplift you as well. And, there's, and you can certainly uh, uh, go to his website, which is, uh, again, forestrivers.com. Uh, now, to this particular book, which I find interesting, very fascinating, there was one, a most incredible, most incredible movie I saw. It's a foreign film. But it has English overdubbing, so I didn't have to worry about subtitles. I'm not a fan of subtitles at all. Uh, but I'm glad they're doing more English overdubbing, uh, like on Netflix and so forth. This film was entitled Dream Seller. And I believe it was out of Brazil. Uh, the city was Paulo, I believe it was. And it was about two individuals, a very high-level high, uh, very influential, powerful businessman, and a very uh, respected psychologist. And um, it, ad- it addresses a lot of these kinds of issues as to what we are doing to ourselves in the name of, as goes into, uh, yeah, actually this is in quotes, it goes th- th- in the name of, progress. 
and I highly recommend it. Uh, I hope that you will take a, an opportunity to maybe look that up. And I, it is on Netflix, uh, um, Forrest, and our listeners and viewers. I hope that you will that also consider awesome. looking it up. I'm not promoting it. I get, I get no, I get, I don't get a 10%, which I did, but I don't. Uh, all I know is that it raises so many questions about what we are doing to ourselves. And we do it to ourselves intentionally, don't we? And isn't that what the hippie movement of the 60s and 70s was about? It's like, we got to stop doing this or we're going to destroy our civilization. Yeah, absolutely. It was a, uh, what, what the whole hippie movement really was trying to do, or at least the ones who were sincere about it, um, you know, was to say, hey, look, we can't continue down this ego state of consciousness. We can't continue down this, this, uh, this, this illusion of separateness, this war, this um, uh, uh, greed, this plundering of the planet where we've got we've to raise our consciousness here. And in many ways, the, the hippie movement was actually a radical movement in consciousness. You know, I know so much is focused on the protests and the social movements, but the thing that's not talked about enough about the whole era was that it was it was fundamentally a radical shift in consciousness. It was a spiritual movement at its core. Now, of course, there were, um, you know, abuses within the movement and there were, uh, you know, some who, who really got it and others who didn't. But all in all, the movement was really about uh seeking a way of higher consciousness and acknowledging the devastation that we're causing both to ourselves and to the natural world through um, this thing called progress, uh, material society. You know, again, it, it, it raises uh, that question. Uh, it raises the question of whether it is really progress or not. Oh gosh! I mean, that's a. I bring that that point up even in in a, in the COVID nineteen. You know, in this book I just wrote, I I bring that whole idea up actually in both books that maybe this period we're going through now twenty this past year, starting in twenty twenty, and even when I wrote the book, the first book Hippie Revival in twenty sixteen, you know, the theme is the same. You know, is what we're doing really progress or actually? Are we moving backwards? I think it's possible to actually evolve in our technology and evolve in the, quote, advancement of our society, but actually be moving backwards in our consciousness. And in that sense, what I mean by that, our collective consciousness is, you know, not being aware of our interconnectedness, both to each other and to the natural world. And you could certainly make a, a huge argument, Richard, you can make a good argument that, you know, what we're what we've been doing, uh, you, you brought up before we had this interview today, you brought up your experience living in Phoenix and all of the 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 radical change in the environment for the worse, you know, mm -hmm. there. Yeah. Uh, and look at all the heat waves that we're seeing on the w record heat waves on the West Coast uh, right now. And, you know, floods and all these crazy weather events, you could argue that, you know, for all of our technological progress and industrialization and all of our advancements, you know, we've we, we've we've really devastated, you know, our our ourselves 
and more importantly, our, our earth. And uh, I, I don't think that it's too late to shift our consciousness. I believe that we can make those changes, but we have to grow in our awareness in order to do so. And I really hope that this last year that we had to sort of slow down and reassess things within ourselves. I hope we do make those changes moving forward. And actually in the book, I have an entire chapter where uh, it, it's, it's basically a hypothetical letter from the earth to humanity. And in it, the earth is essentially questioning our attachment to so-called progress and what real progress might actually mean. And real progress would be a more metaphysical understanding of our interconnectedness to, to everything. I think that the one aspect of that that disheartens me is the, the interpretation by those who are opposed to moving away from uh, the current definition of progress and labeling it something that they believe is so abhorrently um, de uh, 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 demonic almost uh, and, and, and uh, diametrically opposed to the quote-unquote uh, democratic society in which we live, the constitutionally formed uh, republic, um, way of life, etc., etc., and they want to label it as some other ism that has existed on this planet that has done nothing but destroy people's lives and civilizations, yeah. and, and they've just demonized this whole concept. How, do you, how are you able to get across to people that that is the farthest thing from the truth. For example, they might even use the idea that, oh, hey, this is all, you know, socialism or it's communism or, uh, yeah, you, you progressives, you just want to take away our guns and take away our liberties and take away this and that and the other thing. You want to destroy the family unit and the way of life. And many of these people want to live in the 1950s the way it was. The 50s weren't that great when you start really looking into what happened in those years. So how do you, how do you talk to people about this stuff? Well, un undoubtedly, um, uh, social change is a product of a shift to higher consciousness. So as our consciousness starts to evolve, as we evolve more, we turn within, we become, quote, more spiritual, or we become more spiritually attuned, we can't help but start looking at our outer societal injustices. You know, so the way I say to people is the entire, you can't expect things to stay the same on the wider collective regarding our institutions or our politics you can't expect things to stay the same if we're going to evolve in our consciousness because eventually, right, our individual consciousness, each of us individually evolve into a, uh, a higher awareness of our interconnectedness to each other. 
And when that happens, we can't help but start addressing the wider collective injustices that exist. You know, so of course, it's no coincidence, right, Richard, that mm -hmm. as more of us in this last year had had time to reflect, of course, we turned our attention to issues like racism or the destruction of Native American uh, traditions or we started turning our attention to, you know, the authoritarianism that was the last four years, you know, before before this. Mm -hmm. Or we start, of course, we start turning our attention to those questions because we're, we're starting to become more self-aware ourselves. So I guess what I'd say to people is you can't be afraid of change, <laughs> positive change especially, because... Change is a product of a shift in consciousness. And if we try to hold on to the way that things were, right, you brought up to the example of the 1950s. If we try to make, bring every, make everything the 1950s and we cling to like, we overly cling in an extreme way to tradition, we're actually bucking the trends of the entire universe. I mean, quantum physics has literally proven Right. Quantum physicists have literally proven that the entire universe operates in a cyclical nature of constant change. Right. So why would we be any different? Right. And that's what I say to people is the more that you're afraid of change and the more that you resist change, the more that you're actually impeding the natural flow or way of life. You know, you're uh, you're not flowing with things anymore you're kind of getting in the way and Latin, what does that do? You're getting in the way of yourself in your own evolution and consciousness. So that's what I say to people. I say, Hey, look, you know, you can cling to your traditions. You can cling to your, um, you know, fanatical concepts of the way we've defined progress, but all you're actually doing right is impeding yourself, impeding the natural flow of life and impeding our natural evolution and consciousness. You know, air quotes are so 1990s. <laughs> but I love the emphasis. I love the emphasis. Forest Rivers is my guest. We're talking about uh, the, the whole gambit here uh, that he talks about in the work that he has been putting forth. And I certainly hope that you will uh, research along with the rest of us. Uh, we, you know, we're talking about, of course, uh, his uh, latest work that we certainly hope you'll get a copy of through his uh, website, forestrivers.com. will be linked to his website. It's COVID-19 and Humanity's Spiritual Awakening. Do you think that more people than not who have chosen to acknowledge the reality of the virus and its danger that they will begin to understand our connectedness to one another and our quite literal, yes, physical, but mental, emotional, and spiritual connection with one another because that to me is one of the great examples of this this period that showed that 
it started out with one or two or three people. It started out with, uh, uh, shall we say, patient, num uh, patient zero and expanded to millions across the globe. And that didn't just happen overnight. Yeah, I, I, I hope, you know, not hope, I, I think for many people who do acknowledge this virus and the severity of it and what we've all been through, Absolutely. I think that's one of the biggest lessons. And I talk about in the book that people have gotten is how interconnected we truly are. I mean, think about it, Richard, as you just brought up a second ago, you know, whether you were, I mean, whether you were in Italy, you know, whether you were in the United States, whether you were in Canada, whether you were in Brazil, you know, uh, India, everybody's had their turn, right? Every country's had their turn dealing with the devastation of this virus. And, you know, it's 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 undeniable. You'd have to be kind of like hiding under a rock not to see our inherent interconnectedness through all of this. Uh, I think you saw very clearly that our actions have consequences. Our, uh, you know, our our thoughts and our words have consequences. Our inactions, thing. our inactions are in. Are, our inactions yeah. have consequences, as we saw. I mean, you can almost even look at like just just the spiking cases and the decrease in cases having to do with our the you know you can even look at a map of the constant up and down of case numbers and the number of deaths and and link that to our own actions and decisions and and leaders' words and inactions, as you said. Uh, you know, I think. If you're really tuning in, Richard, it's impossible to miss that as a lesson, that this is that we are all interconnected. Now, it's crazy that it took a virus of this magnitude to bring us to this awareness that we're this connected. You know, my argument is even before COVID, climate change should have been enough to bring us to this awareness of how connected we are. I mean, what all humans share the earth. Right. That should have been enough right there. That should be the ultimate yeah. connection. But that didn't do it. Right. No. COVID COVID it had to be something that 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 is, that was more ta tangible to see, though, I would argue, as even as I say that, though, I would argue we're definitely seeing the effects of climate change, too. In fact, that that, that if I was being more accurate, you know, I would I would have said 20, you know, COVID-19 and climate change and humanity's spiritual awakening. But I just don't see evidence that climate change has had that impact yet. But COVID, COVID certainly did because it was more in our faces, yeah. you know, and, and it was something that was a little bit harder to, to, to hide away. But yeah. Well, I will tell you that one of the things that I found uh, very interesting I saw, I, I, not too long ago, I learned that, well, going back to, to bio, uh, well, biology, if you will, in school, I learned about photosynthesis. You know, we learned about the plants and how, how the trees and the plants, they take in the carbon dioxide and they then, and now this is what's interesting, and they secrete, if you will, their waste product is our breathing gas, okay? Yeah. Think about that, okay? 
We don't want to step in scat from a bear when we're walking on the trail or a pile of horse, horse manure, but we're more than happy to breathe in the waste product of the trees. But here's what I learned, that 85% of our oxygen does not come from the trees. It comes from the ocean. And at the rate we're going, if the oceans die, we die. And some will say, well, yeah, but we still have the trees. I said, uh, you want to do another evaluation there? Yeah, they're doing a lot of replanting. My wife is a member of a, an organization uh, where she bought this bracelet and they're supposed to plant a tree or whatever in her name uh, because she's contributed and that kind of thing. And they're trying to get many, many people to do this. And I hope that's what they do. Um, but the trees only provide, according to this statistic, only 15% of the oxygen. And we're finding more and more animals. Uh, I shouldn't say animals. Uh, more and more sea creatures, I'll put it that way, because some are fish and some are mammals, uh, they're washing up on the shores, filled with plastic. They're dying. And as those populations die, so do the smaller fish who feed off of the, the little predators and what have you, the, the parasites that live on those larger animals. So then they die, and one thing leads to another, and eventually you have the equivalent of, I guess, the Dead Sea. Yeah. And now we yep. don't have anything to breathe. And right now, nobody is dying from asphyxiation. And back in the 70s, when they were talking about air pollution, and of course, California passed all of those laws to reduce emissions and so forth, and the air's cleared up in, the, in L.A. because they made those changes. Are you optimistic that man's going to be here in a hundred or a thousand years? Yeah, I think, I think, um, again, I mean, to tie it back, I think we have an uphill climb. I'd be lying, Richard, if I said we don't have a major uphill climb. Maybe it's like climbing a 14,000, maybe a 20,000 foot mountain, right? We have right now in terms of a climb, but I'm optimistic that we can, we can write our path and it's going to depend on each of us as individuals growing in our own awareness and growing in our consciousness in order to have that kind of change. I am optimistic. I do think it's going to be a struggle, but I do think that a podcast like this, uh, you know, books like the kind that I wrote that I wrote or what other authors write that have a similarly positive message can move us in that direction. Uh, you know, I, I, I am optimistic that yes, we will be around here, but we're going to have to drastically change our ways, which means that we're going to have to stop living so egotistically and more rooted in the spirit. If we don't, if we don't shift our, our state of awareness from the ego to the spirit, we're, we're, we're in some serious trouble, but I think it's not too late to make that change. That's why I highly recommend that movie, Dream Seller, uh, on Netflix. Uh, I just, I think it is just so profound uh, in the message uh, that, it spe that it brings forward uh, that I would highly encourage people uh, to watch it. We're talking with Forrest Rivers. We're talking about the work that he is doing. 
We're talking about the book that he has available through his website, COVID-19 and Humanity's Spiritual Awakening. And uh, unity and compassion are one. They're on the rise as a result of the world pandemic. Uh, I have heard it said too, uh, Forrest, that we're actually headed for a second pandemic, but it's not a virus. It is our inability to adjust when it's time to do so and then um, we become frustrated because it's going on too long. And we want, we want to change the situation because we want to change the situation. We're, we're tired of, I mean, sometimes it's only after a few weeks. And this one has been going on for like 18 months. Um, and that is uh, an epidemic I don't know if it'll be a pandemic, it might be, of anxiety and depression disorders, mental mm -hmm. health and wellness disease, if you will, dis-ease, we'll call it dis-ease, uh, that is going to if not only sweep this country, but potentially many other countries who chose to lock their people down to try to contain this virus in order to get through to the other side. Your thoughts? No, oh, wow, great, great, great comments, first of all. Uh, yes, I think there's already evidence that we're entering that second pandemic or epidemic, as you said, and that epidemic is one of a severe mental health disease. And let's not forget, there's you know many traditional healers in indigenous tribes scattered throughout the world who argue that disease, as we commonly think of it, is actually the product of dis-ease, mm -hmm. right? It's the mm -hmm. product of that disease, you know? So yes, I think we're absolutely seeing that. that there is a mental health epidemic that is, is, just, is just at its very, very inception point right now. And you're already seeing it in America. I mean, look, I mean, look around. We have a record number of people who are addicted to opiates. We have a number of people, a record number of people who are addicted to, uh, um, gosh, uh, all other kinds of drugs, alcohol, right? And by the way, I, I used to have an alcohol problem myself, right? And it took me some time to get over that one, you know? And we're seeing a number of people who are exhibiting high levels of anxiety, we're exhibiting more people than we've seen, a higher percentage of the population we've ever seen before. She just researched this a couple of days ago of people who are attempting suicides. Mm. You know, so this is this is a crazy period. You know, this is a crazy period of unease. And, you know, I I would say that more that this period. Yes. To answer your question, 100 percent. I do see a second pandemic being one of mental health uh, crisis emerging right now. I think that's actually a very astute observation by you. Uh, and one, no one's ever really brought that up in any of these interviews and I've done, and that's absolutely true. Now I'm hopeful though, that mm -hmm. we can meet that with, um, and by the way, I do think the, I do think the lockdowns and the, um, what am I trying to say? The lockdowns and the alienation 
many people are feeling over the last year was a major precipitating factor of this. And those people had to reflect for the first time, Richard. Like if you've never reflected on metaphysical concepts before, and you've never reflected on your own self and your own actions and thoughts and the consequences of those actions and thoughts, this is a pretty intense time for you. Mm -hmm. I've talked to many people in the last year, Richard, who say, I can't be alone anymore because I can't even be with my own thoughts anymore. This is just stirring up too much. I think what is needed right now, I'm hopeful though, that we can meet the second pandemic of mental health crisis with, with, um, with, with more of an emphasis on those, on those who are tuned in choosing paths of service. And what do I mean by that? I mean, people sharing uh, what they're doing. Like Richard, I think this show, for example, this podcast is an example of that service. You know, sharing with people, uplifting people, getting people to look within, uh, introducing people to meditation. I talk about that a lot in the book. That is a very important thing right now. People need meditation. Getting out in nature would be one of those cures to the mental health crisis we're facing right now. Uh, Even if you live in the cities, even if you live in the middle of a city, you can still connect with nature. You can get out to your public parks. You can get out to greenways. You know, um, even if you can't leave the conference, you can grow a garden. You know, urban gardens are on the rise. I know out in California, I was blown away with how many cities have urban gardens. That's not the case throughout most of the country, but I was blown away in California. That seems to be just, oh, urban gardens? Ah, yeah, we've been doing them for years, you know, but <laughs> that, that's something that's something that people can that's something that people can be doing, you know, Uh you know, so I, I think there's some ways that we can reach, we can, sorry, we can solve this second pandemic. And I think also we're, we can't continue down the path that we're doing where we emphasize only materialism, only, uh, you know, this limited concept of, of, uh, 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 of progress based on unlimited growth and acquisition. If we keep pursuing that, we do that at our own peril. I think actually all the mental health problems you're seeing is largely a product, Richard, of a society that is is emphasizing all the wrong values and all the and all those values that pull us away from the spirit. You know, so, I'm st- I mean, uh, yeah, I'm still trying. I was I, I'm a, I'm a, a born and raised Catholic. I'm not practicing anymore. Uh, I got it right. So I moved on. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I didn't read anywhere in the Bible, and I've read it cover to cover a couple of times. I didn't find anywhere in the Bible where it talked about free enterprise, capitalism, and consumerism, let alone democracy. Well, I mean, G- Jesus was actually known as being very, and I, and I have actually, I've only once for me, I've read it front to back okay. the Bible, and. And Jesus was actually preaching exactly against that, mm-hmm. against material, against materialism and against uh, acquisition being at the at the center of your life. In fact, the myst I'll say this, the mystics of all of the faiths are 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 saying that's an illusion. Uh, the Hindus call it Maya. Right. All of that, you know, the what, what we what we might term late stage capitalism today 
would be considered Maya or illusion in the Hindu sense. It's yeah, it's real because we've quote made it real, mm -hmm. but it has no basis in no Genesis in things of the spirit yeah. at all. And it doesn't make us happy, Richard. Yeah. It doesn't make us happy. Consumerism and unfettered capitalism does not make people happy. And I actually think that's one of the things when the economy came to a halt in 2020, that's one of the things that people were actually sitting with for the first time. You know what's interesting? Have you ever said, I, I was just thinking about this the other day. You know, the news is saying, well, why aren't people returning to work right now? Why aren't people going back into the service industry jobs right now? You, you've heard about all these, and your listeners too, I'm sure, have heard about all these job surges. Well, you know what it is? A lot of people have said, that didn't make me happy. You know, they, they, I got exploited. It didn't make me happy. I had to work these, sorry, pardon my language. I had to work these hours that didn't make that, 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 you know, I wasn't honored for the work that I was doing. You know, I think a lot of people were actually really examining, does this economic system, does an entire existence based on, on endless consumerism and, and toiling for others, does that actually bring me a sense of fulfillment? And for many people, Richard, the answer has been no. And I think that's why a lot of people aren't returning back to their jobs. Not the only reason, but a significant reason. And I know the media will tell you other things. They'll mm -hmm. say, you know, they don't want to give up their unemployment insurance and they don't want to give up that and they're living off the system. The real reason, man, the real reason is the fulfillment. That's not bringing people fulfillment. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't bring the happiness. Yeah. You know, I've often uh, pondered and put forth the question, why is an economy considered to be the core of a civilization's existence? Um, and then the current form. Who said that this was the only way to do it? And that's why we don't change. Oh, no, because this just works just fine. You know, uh, who said? Have you tried anything else? There, now, just because it, through the, through the uh, uh, course of history, a few men have come up with several different model, economic models, that doesn't mean that that's all there are. There's, I mean, the, the Iroquois, for example, back in the uh, 14, 1400s up until the 1700s had a very workable model that also emphasized wisdom and spirituality and compassion and true merit based on service to your community. You know, the Iroquois had, and they thrived on an economic sense, but that wasn't the basis of their society. The basis was service to their community the basis was compassion and reverence for the earth, you know, uh, and they had a very successful model, yet we don't really emphasize the Iroquois very much. We only talk about our own limited conception of our system. Right. And, yeah. you know, and that's I agree with you. I mean, why, why, why is money and wealth acquisition and consumerism considered the hallmarks of a society's success? Or yeah. why is its military uh, prowess considered the hallmark of success? Yeah. 
uh, the speaking of which, what I find so fascinating is that down through history, uh, and I'm talking hundreds if not thousands of years, civilizations that would go to war, uh, their, their, their tribes, their villages would send the men off, because it was men back then, men and boys. But when they came back after the conflict, win or lose, they were honored. They were respected. They were cared for. And I, I would ask the question, of course, uh, here in this country, uh, since the founding of this country, I've, I've asked the question, why is it that our government asks its people to go fight these conflicts and they, under the guise of service to country, but then when they get back, it's like, oh, who are you? I don't know you. Get away. Get away. Move along. And I've asked the question of the disrespect of the veterans, as we call them. How long has this been going on? And I found out well, how long. It's been going on as long as the Revolutionary War. Mm -hmm. It is part of the military, unfortunately, of the military history of this nation, that we uh, basically we use them and discard them, use them and discard them, and disrespect them, and disrespect them. And I saw a beautiful movie, and I interviewed the producer of this movie called Welcome many years ago, having to do with a program for veterans from Vietnam, and helping them to re reacclimate. And in the conversation with the producer. Uh, he, he basically, he says that we're, yes, we work with the veterans to help them to acclimate to civilian life, but really what has to happen is that the civilians have to acclimate to the veterans mm. in terms of understanding where they've been and what they've been through, which also means that the veterans have to be willing to be forthcoming with that which they have seen and heard and experienced, uh, which I know is it, that's as difficult as what you talked about earlier when one goes within and has to deal with both the light and the dark side of self that kind of thing, because mm. a lot of people have difficulty. And I tell people when we talk about the decade now, the decade of perfect vision, the 2020s, where I encourage them to go within. And I say, I realize there are going to be times when it's going to get a little scary. And I understand that. And that's OK. Go with the fear. All right. Don't don't use the fear not to go, but allow yourself to go through the fear so that you can learn more about who you are. I've heard, who was it who said, uh, uh, know thyself? There was a, uh, was it Shakespeare who used that phrase? I know there was more to it. I think it was Shakespeare. I'm pretty sure it was Shakespeare who said that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, 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 and that is really uh, uh, supported by many, many of the philosophers down through the ages. Um, I want to say that uh, Teilhard de, uh, de Chardin, I believe it was, uh, the one who talked about this, I believe it was he who talked about the zero point, uh, and, um, and, and just our own personal evolution. If we don't know who we are, how do we, how do we relate to other people better? 
because we, when we know who we are, we can better understand who other people are and why they are the way they are. And that, and that's fundamentally, I think, the biggest point in the end that I hope we take away from this last year. Yeah. Is I hope, as I hope, Richard, we all become more familiar with who we are. So that way, if we know who we are, we can truly start to make change on the world. If we don't know who we are, mm-hmm. we have no business trying to even make any kind of change in the world, right? Otherwise, we're just spreading more kind of ignorance of our position where we're at. You know, we need to actually become aware of who we are before we can make change. And that's actually what I hope comes most out of this entire period is more self-awareness so we can get on with the healing of our planet. Mm. That's what it's really all about, uh, healing. And that raises another question. I know what I conceive of as the concept of healing. Um, I happen to be, uh, among other things, uh, a reverend. I am... Uh, a Reiki master. And in my training as a Reiki master, we were taught that when you send out that energy, especially in, let's say, an absentee healing, and my wife and I did this once for my father's brother, you send it out not with your intent, but with the intent that the receiver now may use this energy in whichever, in whatever way he or she chooses. You can also use it on situations as well. And so we spent the time. We sent him absentee healing. We sent him the energy to do with as he wishes. We're told the story following his passing that uh, he was a, he able he got really angry about his medication and he threw it across the room jumped in his wheelchair and wheeled across the, the, the compound where he and his family lived to visit his son, where they had uh, several hours, I guess, of uh, father-son closure. And shortly thereafter, he passed. Now, some would say, some would say, uh, but you didn't heal him. And I said, that wasn't the point. The point wasn't for him to be healed of his cancer. The point was for him to do with that energy what he wanted to do. So when we talk about healing the earth, what is it that we're talking about here? Yeah, so when we're talking about the earth, I, I think the, the healing that we're talking about is, is you know, I, I think actually that healing starts with us. You know, I think that healing actually begins with us becoming aware of our relationship to the earth. I think we have to heal what's within us that is causing us to disrespect the planet. Mm. You know, and I really believe that, you know, because think about it. Like if, you know, if we're destroying the earth, there's obviously something going on that is detrimental within us or malfunctioning within us, because how could we try to destroy that which we're a part of? That makes no sense. So when I think of healing of the earth, I think healing ourselves first. If we can heal ourselves, then we can send feelings of goodwill 
and intentions of goodwill to the earth. And she will do with that as she will. Yeah. Because I believe the earth is, I believe the earth is of her own consciousness. Well, and, and I've heard that too. And I've heard that she doesn't necessarily, she does not need our help to recover from the damages that we have done. But what you described, she sure could use. And that is our return to a, 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 a connected respect for. That's it. That's it. And, and in that process of a connected respect for, we are healing ourselves. Yeah. Therefore, the earth can do the rest. At that point, if we're healing ourselves, we become connected to the earth. We realize that we honor her. And why would we do anything to destroy her? Yeah. From that point on, the earth will correct. Mm -hmm. yeah. And by the way, if we think that we can destroy the earth, if we think that we can actually, us humans can actually destroy the planet, we're badly mistaken. She is a much stronger spirit than we can ever possibly imagine. Uh, what's more likely, and I don't believe we're going to come to this point, although I bet we'll come close, mm -hmm. destroying ourselves is, is the thing that would happen. We destroy ourselves and make, and make our human race not able to live here. But destroying the earth, she will recover. The earth will recover. You know, I, I, uh, I couldn't agree with you more on that. Um, she will be kind of like the proverbial uh, dog with wet fur who basically shakes and off we go, you know. Yep. Uh, and she go. will basically say, had enough. Thank you very much. Uh, I, I hope you enjoyed the ride, but the ride's over. Yep. Uh, I'm starting uh, I'm, over. Yeah, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go into a little, uh, I'm going to go take a little nap right now. I'm going to heal up a few of my wounds. That's right. And when I, and when I wake up, you won't be here anymore. You won't be here. Now <laughs> I've, I've even heard it said, and I, my wife actually made what I thought was a very profound comment. She said that uh, from her analysis, man is not indigenous to this planet. You take a look at every species on the planet that exists today. All right. And let's just say that the climates were balanced and what have you. You don't see polar bears living at the equator, nor do you see iguanas living at the poles. OK. Uh, they are living in their respective habitats based upon their physical, uh, their structure. However, man uh, lives in all the different environments, has to create clothing, has to create shelter. All of these things, you know, in order to survive, in order to continue living. And uh, if that, if we were indigenous to this world, we wouldn't have, to, she, this is her theory, we wouldn't have to do that. And there's a part of me that says that kind of seems to ring true. Uh, that if you don't belong somewhere, the environment's going to tell you, you don't belong. Uh, now, where we come from, I don't know. I, I, you know, is there an alien uh, uh, civilization that dropped us here millions of years ago or hundreds of thousands of years ago? I, again, I don't know. I, I'm, not a, I'm not a firm believer, I'm sorry, in this story of creation. I'm just, uh, you know, I don't know how it all started. All I know is there are so many things 
that when I ask her questions, the answers I'm given, especially from the religious, just don't make any sense. Uh, because it, it, it just doesn't make any sense. You have two human beings who propagate the whole planet? How did they do that? Oh, you had Cain and Abel. Well, but those are two boys. So they had sex with mom, <laughs> who had a few girls, and then they had sex with the girls. Well, we know very well through biology, you don't have brothers and sisters doing that because eventually down the road, you're going to have some birth defects. And I mean, I don't know of any other conclusion one could come to. That's just because it just makes no sense. Now, someone said, but that's the mystery. That's the mystery of God. Um, so anyway, I, I don't want to necessarily travel quite too far much further down that rabbit hole. <laughs> uh, because it uh, kind of takes us away from our focus in terms of uh, humanity's uh, spiritual awakening. Um, what has been your experience uh, with people who have had an opportunity to get to know you? Maybe they've read your book, both books. Uh, they're familiar with this philosophy, if you will. That's what I'll call it at this moment. Um, and uh, uh, they've kind of they've kind of said, you know, I've, this is what I've been thinking all along. Are you are you seeing your drop in the pond rippling out, starting to really touch people, and you're you're you are experiencing that spiritual awakening? out there yeah I, i've seen this more uh, more people have come up to me you know after having read the book or written me saying oh yeah i i, I completely vibe with this this makes perfect sense i've seen actually more people who are in tune with the things that i'm writing about in 2021 than i did even five years ago when i wrote the hippie revival so Yes, to answer your question, I see more and more people who are showing an interest in the kind of things that we're talking about. And that gives me hope, Richard. That gives me a lot of hope that more and more people are starting to catch the vibe, if you will, mm -hmm. of consciousness evolution. You still can, do you consider yourself a hippie? Uh, I think I'd, I, I think I'd probably, uh, qualify as such <laughs> yeah i uh i remember in my 30s i let my hair grow long <laughs> and i had a ponytail and i thought okay i didn't get to participate in the th in the 60s with all of that stuff going on uh because i was only in my single digits at the time born in 60 uh so i figured okay i'm 30 i'm gonna this this will be my at least the um uh, uh, the outward sign of sort of a, a rebellious or at least a free spirit by, with the ponytail and the long hair when I wouldn't have it braided up and so forth. And, of course, then uh, came the uh, 21st century, and I ended up shaving my head and growing a beard. Uh, it's, it's so funny how the shaving of the head was more a symbol of solidarity with my wife, who was at that time in 2021, uh, 2000 one going through her bout with cancer which she survived oh, and to this day survives God. but the beard came about more because i injured my elbow and i couldn't bend my arm to shave and so for several weeks i couldn't shave and the beard was coming in i thought 
I haven't had a beard in a long time. Uh, let's see what happens. And I've kept it ever since. I continue to shave my head because I did not like the way that was coming in. <laughs> so some very interesting and bizarre stories um, that each of us, uh, I'm sure, shares in regards to uh, uh, some of the ways in which we come through this world and move through uh, our path. Forest Rivers, I want to thank you so much for joining us here on the program, giving us so much time and sharing your ideas and philosophies. I'm hoping that we've touched upon uh, those things that you wanted to touch upon. Oh, yeah. Is there anything that we've left out? No, Richard, I want to say this has been one of the more like interesting and entertaining interviews that I've been in. You're, you're, you're very good interviewer. Uh, you know, I've really enjoyed this a lot. And I think you pretty much hit on all the major themes that I that I really wanted to kind of get to today. So that's that's great. Oh, good. Well, uh, I have three final questions. Speaking of okay. themes that I like to ask each one of my guests, you may have addressed them within the context of the interview, but I like to ask them directly. But before I ask you those three questions, I need to let you, the listener and the viewer, know that this program is here Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., and Wednesdays for our special edition of Tell Me Your Story, Wednesdays at 9 a.m., streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. We are also podcasting, and we have the podcasts on SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, Amazon Music, and many other locations. Just quite honestly, too numerous to mention. Uh, and I'm so thankful for those of you who have listened. You have boosted our listenership up to 39,000 listens wow. in three and a half years. Now, uh, Foster, uh, Forrest, I, I don't know what that means. I, I honestly do not know what that really means. Somebody who knows analytics and podcasts and all of that stuff, they can play with that. All I know is I'm glad that th oh, 39,000 listens and people are listening. I'm now up to 31 viewers on YouTube. That's right. We're on YouTube where you can watch these interviews. 31 subscribers. We've got over 135 interviews, I believe it is, 130 to 135 interviews, including uh, this one, that you can watch and go to YouTube and subscribe if you'd like, uh, but at least watch uh, 2,500 hours of viewing. Uh, on YouTube of these videos. So that is that is ramping up as well. So I'm very excited about that. So keep listening, keep watching, uh, and uh, continue. Uh, as a challenging as it might be to go within, please don't be afraid. It's going to be all right. You're not alone because for all of us, myself included, it can be a scary place sometimes. But a lot of times you'll hear that still small voice say, hey, it's okay. Just try to relax, let the images flow past, let the sounds go by, you know, let's work through this and, and, and you'll be fine. Uh, take that time to just be at peace, be calm, be quiet. That's, that's really what it's all about. And then if you find these programs informative, insightful, inspiring, helpful in any way, shape or form, they resonate with you and you'd like to support us financially, I have to tell you how grateful I am for those who do support this program. I can't thank you enough for contributing to what we're doing here and to those who will. So please uh, do what you can. We'll take any amount. Uh, I have to say we had one contributor. I was, I literally had to sit down when I saw this, who contributed a total 
of $500 to the work that we're doing. And that just blew me away that someone was willing to support us in that way. So again, I thank you for doing that. So with that, we have a PayPal account for your security as well as ours. Richard at RichardDugan.com is the email address that you would use when sending, and it will come straight to us. So thank you so much for doing that. So to our three questions that we ask all of our guests at the end of the program, question number one, who is Forrest Rivers? <laughs> I think Forrest Rivers, well, first of all, it's my uh, Forrest Rivers, unlike uh, to answer that question most literally, it's my it's actually my pen name and my speaking name. It's actually not my my real name. I'll keep my real name inside in secret, but okay. that's that's my pen name. But Forest Rivers on a more metaphysical sense is just another soul trying to make sense of this of this world and finding his own path uh, to awakening. I'm not a realized being. In fact, there's a really great uh a really great quote from the Tao Te Ching, which is one of my favorite texts ever. And it basically says, those who speak don't know, <laughs> and those who know don't speak, right? So that I always am aware of that whenever I'm even giving these interviews. I'm like, wow, I got to kind of keep myself in check, right? So Forest Rivers also is just, a, just another soul like anybody else just trying to find his way and finding meaning and awakening in his life. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now? I want to inspire people to be the absolute best version of themselves. And I want to instill faith and hope in people who read, uh, read my works or hear me speak. And finally, what is your life's purpose? Oof. Wow. So I think my, my life's purpose is to, uh, through speaking, writing, and service, to help guide others to their own awakenings. And here's the catch. In doing so, they're serving me to come to my own awakening. I think service becomes a two-way street. It's not just a one-way street. In fact, I think if service is performed correctly, it becomes sort of uh, indistinguishable, but who it becomes uh, difficult to assess who's the server and who's being served, like who's who's doing what, you know? And so I really see my life's purpose as trying to guide others to look within and be the best version of themselves. But in doing so, they're helping me do the same, too. Well, Forrest. <laughs> If, if that is your real name, Forrest, Forrest uh, Rivers, I thank you so much for uh, joining us here on the program and for being a oh, part a of pleasure. the work that we are doing. Uh, it's been a, a privilege to get to know you as well as to, uh, to talk about these, these subjects because uh, they're important to talk about. Uh, they're critical for our survival, quite honestly. We, we need to do more than what we are doing, I, I believe. And I yes, think that absolutely. through what you have shared here on the program today, I think that more people will do just that. And I thank you so much for being with us. Oh, man, I thank you so much. I think your show is absolutely fantastic, Richard. 
Well, thank you so much. And I thank you for listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to lol.